You may open with me this morning to the fifth chapter of Romans. We are having a short series of messages to review the doctrine of salvation for your comfort, for your understanding, and for your preparation as we approach Romans chapter 10 shortly. Arminians have abused Romans 10, and dispensationalists have abused Romans 11, and I want to give you a foundation and the mental tools and knowledge to be able to follow the teaching in those two chapters very easily. Our children continue, our church continues to age with more and more children able to understand, and so a review of salvation is very good for them to be established in those points of doctrine that distinguish us from other churches. Even other good Baptist churches that we might agree with on some things, we differ with most of them on the doctrine of salvation. I have purpose to organize this review of salvation by asking Arminians questions. And there will be some sarcasm, but the Lord willing, there'll be less than last Lord's Day as I introduced this subject to you. Arminians believe, and I'll state their belief for each category of questions that I have for them, that salvation depends upon sinful man performing a condition in order to be saved. That God loves all men equally, and Jesus Christ died for all the sins of all men equally, and the Holy Spirit convicts all men equally, but salvation in the final analysis depends upon each sinner exercising their free will in order to be saved. And we want to take that apart point by point so that we come to Romans chapter 10, and it makes statements like, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, will understand exactly what that means by rightly dividing the word of truth. They don't care about dividing the word of truth. All they care about is sound bites. Like Romans 10.13, they don't care if it violates context. They don't care if it violates the rest of Scripture. They have never thought about making a verse fit. That's why they will take John 3.16 and call it the gospel in a nutshell, and that all we need is John 3.16. We don't need anything else beyond that. But they don't know what in the world Jesus is talking about to Nicodemus by pulling that single sentence out of a discussion with a Jew about the gospel dispensation. So, the category that we want to take up this morning, first of all, is what we're going to call, for its common name, original sin. Original sin is not total depravity. Total depravity is the corruption of the human nature that did come from Adam that leaves us in a state of enmity against God, not willing or able to submit to God in any way motivated by our own heart. The things of the Spirit of God are foolishness to us, and we cannot discern them. And the things that we looked at last Lord's Day, that is total depravity. Original sin is the sin that originated condemnation upon the human race, and that's Adam's sin. They're two different things. Total depravity is the corruption of the human will and the human heart. And original sin is Adam eating the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil from the hand of his wife 
that condemned all of us as sinners and leads to our eternal condemnation. Arminians, what do they believe about original sin? Well, they vary, so it's hard. So here's my description of them on this subject. Either the judgment of Adam's fallen nature and or the penalty of death passed to all men or no such thing happened. Meaning, some of them believe in original sin and some of them don't believe in original sin. Some of them think it would be entirely unfair for God to hold us accountable for Adam's transgression in the Garden of Eden, that he would do no such thing, and others would agree with us that indeed Adam sinned and we were condemned by his sin. If they believe that, as I just stated it, if they agree with us on original sin, then they add to that all you need to do is accept Jesus as your second Adam in order to be saved from the first Adam. And so that's how they deal with original sin. Sometimes they'll create the age of accountability to get rid of original sin, like the Church of Christ. They have the age of accountability. I still want to ask them, like we did last Lord's Day, why do babies die? If they're not accountable, why do babies die? Why are there miscarriages? If Adam's sin does not apply to the whole race from the moment of conception. Romans chapter 5. I am so sorely tempted to re-preach these 10 verses to you from verse 12 to 21, but I'm going to try to refrain myself since I just preached them to you 12 to 15 months ago. This is one of my favorite passages of the Bible. And when it comes to the doctrine of salvation, this is a passage that you should delight in and understand and use when you are dealing with Arminians. When we use the word Arminian, we are not saying Armenian with an E. An Armenian with an E is someone that lives in the nation of Armenia, in Euro-Asia next to Turkey. When we say Arminian with an I, we are referring to the followers of Jacobus Arminius from the 16th and 17th centuries an opponent of John Kelvin, and an opponent of the state religion of Holland, which was Calvinism. So we are referring to those that deny man's total depravity. They say that God elected conditionally those that he foresaw would believe on his son. Jesus Christ died a general death for all men. The grace and power of the Holy Spirit is most definitely resistible. And the perseverance of the saints is dependent upon their persevering. Romans chapter 5, I read to you ten verses. Delight in them with me. I have read to you verses that Nebuchadnezzar wrote to all nations that praised God. And these verses praise God for His wonderful salvation provided for us in the second Adam. Wherefore, Wherefore, there was a great deal already mentioned in verses 6 through 11 about Jesus Christ dying for the ungodly when they had no strength, verse 6, dying for unrighteous men and ungodly sinners in verses 7 and 8, reconciling us by his 
justifying us by His blood in verse 9, reconciling us by His death and His life in verse 10, and giving us the atonement, putting us at one again with God in verse 11. Now all that was necessary because of what we're about to read. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, so also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift by grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift is of many offenses unto justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. That as sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen and amen. Amen. The Lord will bless the reading of His Word. I hope that the 20th verse might make a little more sense to you given Wednesday night's Bible study about the feasts and sacrifices of the Old Testament form of worship under Moses. When it says, moreover, the law entered, it's not talking about South Carolina law or federal law or common law. It's talking about the law of Moses. Moreover, the law of Moses entered the scene 2,500 years after Adam that the offense might abound. It tells us why God gave the law of Moses. To make Adam's offense abound by showing its effect in all the lives of those under the law. Because it just reminded them every single day that they were sinners like Adam because they could not keep the demands that the law of God had upon them. It doesn't say that offenses might abound, but that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. 
because that law was a schoolmaster to bring us to the Lord Jesus Christ. And though the law made man look very, very sinful indeed, the Lord Jesus Christ came and kept all the provisions of the law perfectly and then died in fulfillment of the curse of the law for us. And so where sin abounded, grace did much more abound that while sin had reigned unto death from Adam to Moses for 2,500 years, sin reigned. Sin was king. It brought forth death in every human person conceived between Adam and Moses. Even so might grace reign. Grace is king in the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the kingdom of God. And it reigns through righteousness unto eternal life by Jesus our Lord. Let's come back. I don't have time to preach Romans 5, 12 through 21. I'll get nowhere and then you will, people will be wondering, are we ever going to get to Romans 10? Let's just start asking questions. Because I'm going to assume that you have heard messages entitled, The Two Adams. And if you want to review them, and I encourage you to review them, if you want a little devotional, then read these ten verses again tomorrow and look through the outline or listen to the sermons called The Two Adams on our website. Wonderful doctrine. First question for Arminians. Mr. Arminian, why did the Holy Spirit use the singular word one 16 times in eight verses? From Romans 5.12 to Romans 5.19, if he actually meant two or three. Arminians believe that Jesus Christ obeyed by living a perfect life and dying willingly on the cross of Calvary in order for you to be made righteous. But Arminians also teach that you have to believe the gospel, accept Jesus Christ, receive Him as your personal Savior, or and or get baptized, and or bring forth a fruitful life in order to be made righteous. Arminians also teach that unless there's a soul winner or a missionary or an evangelist that brings the gospel to the sinner in order for them to hear about Jesus and to believe on Him and to accept Him and receive Him, then He cannot be made righteous. Therefore, an Arminian has the obedience of three. Jesus Christ obeyed the will of His Father, the missionary obeyed the call of the Holy Spirit, and the sinner obeyed the invitational call given at the end of a sermon. So there's three obeying to be made righteous. So my question to an Arminian, and the question you should ask them is, why did the Holy Spirit use the singular word one 16 times in those eight verses from 12 to 19 if he meant two or more? We look at verse 12 and we ask, Mr. Arminian, does the as so... When you find as so in the Bible, those are two little adverbs telling you as says in this way and so means in that way that has been identified as so. When we look at verse 12 and we see the second word is as and we see the second word of the second half of the verse is so. Mr. Arminian, when we find as so in Romans 5.12, does that mean that all men must die for their sins or that all men die for Adam's sin? And so we ask them. We know the answer to that. 
Romans 5, 12 through 19 is teaching one thing. The one for the many. The one for the many in every single verse. The many are not acting anywhere in 12 through 19. It is the one acting on their behalf. And that is why it is as so. And when it says, for that, all have sinned, that relative pronoun there is referring to the fact of whatever has been described in the first half of the verse. And there's much material on these points that I'm making, but we ask, does for that all have sinned mean by themselves or by Adam? Remember, the whole passage is about one sinning and many being condemned. And Paul Paul wouldn't turn the apple cart upside down and spill all the apples and then drive over them in a passage where he's teaching the one for the many. Second of all, verse 14 says, not all have sinned. So how do they all die? Verse 14 says, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned. So Mr. Arminian, we're here in Romans chapter 5, and we're wanting to establish the true doctrine of salvation. And when we listen to you preach your gospel, we have questions from this passage for you. In verse 13, Mr. Arminian, how was sin in the world before the law when sin cannot be charged without a law? Verse 13 says, For until the law, sin was in the world. But sin is not imputed when there is no law. God does not charge a person with sin unless a person breaks a law that God gave them, yet there was sin for 2,500 years between Adam and Moses, though God had not given all men a law to keep. Right. Now in the overall scheme of things, this passage is so powerful for the purpose of the book of Romans because those Jews were looking at everything being focused on Abraham and our wise, beloved brother Paul took them back long before Abraham, right. all the way back to Adam and found out that there was a sin problem in Adam that the law didn't really have anything to do with. But that's beside the point for today. That was a useful point when we were working our way through the chapters and verses of Romans. So verse 13, we ask the question, how was sin in the world before the law when sin cannot be charged without a law? The answer is Adam's sin. Because Adam did have a law given to him because verse 14 contrasts him by having a law given to him against those that didn't have a law given to them. We come to ver Why do men die when they have no law to break? Mr. Arminian, why did men die for 2,500 years when they had no law to break? Because they were dying for Adam's sin. This is one powerful, God-glorifying, man-humbling, terrifying, without the Lord Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Him, doctrine. But it is in the Bible, and it is plainly taught right here, and it's taught very repetitively and very specifically. How did men die for 25 centuries from Adam to Moses when they had not sinned, as verse 14 says? Nevertheless, though there hadn't been a law given before the law to impute sin to every single person, there had been some laws given. Nevertheless, nevertheless, in spite of that, that sin cannot be imputed when there is no law, nevertheless, though there wasn't actual sin 
on the part of these people to be charged against them, in every case, death reigned. Death reigned. There were no exceptions to everyone dying between Adam and Moses. Even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression. Even over those that did not have a law given to them and did not break that law. And the category that best fits that description are unborn children. Born children go astray as soon as they be born, speaking lies. But unborn children, according to Romans 9.13, the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. But were they evil? Yes. On what basis were they evil? Because a representative named Adam had sinned for them. And I don't want to teach this passage, but I do want you established in it because when you're dealing with Arminians, you want to remember what the Bible teaches about something called original sin. The first sin. The sin that got us all. This is not total depravity. We're not talking about man's nature. We're talking about man's condemnation. That men are condemned from the instant they're conceived. Forget the fact that their nature is corrupt from the instant they're conceived. They are condemned before God for having eaten the fruit off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Is what this whole passage is teaching. Mr. Arminian, in verse 14... Who is Adam the figure of? I sound like a Bible quizzer. Or a quiz master. Who is Adam the figure of? And he's thinking because he doesn't want to answer. Because if he answers, he's in trouble. Who is Adam the figure of? As soon as he says Jesus, we say, Amen. But now you're in serious trouble, Mr. Arminian. Because you have just said that Adam's a figure of Jesus, and therefore Jesus' salvation must be the same way that Adam condemned. Amen. Are you ready for those consequences to answering our question? Who is Adam the figure of? Oh, thank you, Lord. This is so simple and so plain. It doesn't get any better than Romans chapter 5. It's so wonderful. Mr. Arminian, how much must infants and pagans know of this doctrine of original sin in order to die by the facts of it? Do all of you understand the authority of this doctrine? Death reigned over all men, even over those that had not sinned like Adam sinned by breaking a commandment given to him by God. How much do infants have to know about the doctrine of original sin? Do they have to have read Romans 5 or had it explained to them in order to die as a consequence of the facts related to us here? No. Do pagans have to understand this doctrine in order to die by the consequences of it? Never. The vast majority of the human race never knew about this doctrine. Why do babies die in the wombs of their mothers? By nature, that would be a miscarriage or by abortion. Why do they die? Because they're sinners in the sight of God by Adam's sin. This is hard doctrine, the apostles would tell us if they were here. They thought John 6 was hard doctrine. How about Romans 5? 
But you know what? I get to the end of it and I say the same thing with Peter. To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. I fall before Thee, Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, and freely confess that Adam was my superior. And you put Adam in a situation where he was far more capable of keeping one commandment than I am capable of keeping all your commandments. And I gladly submit to the doctrine of representation and federal headship of the first Adam over me. But I thank God and I believe and am persuaded that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, and thou art the second Adam. And I lay hold of thee by faith this day that thou hast obeyed for me and made me righteous by thy obedience. I ask you, Mr. Arminian, when was David first a sinner? In sin did my mother conceive me. Right. Psalm 51 and verse 5. Mr. Arminian, you're, you're quaking at the thought of someone being condemned to death for the sin of another. Was God fair to kill the child of David and Bathsheba for their sins? Was God fair? Of course he was fair. Was that child already guilty of sin itself? Yes. Whose sin? Not his parents' sin. Adam's sin. But why did he die then and not at the age of 70? For their sin. Is God fair, Mr. Arminian? He's better than fair because there's a second half to this chapter. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Will a man still die for Adam's sin if he never heard of Adam or rejected the truth about Adam contained in Romans 5 and 1 Corinthians 15? Absolutely, definitely, for sure. Without exception. Must a man hear the Genesis account, believe it, and accept Adam as a sin representative in order to die? Mr. Arminian, must a person hear the Genesis account, believe it, and personally accept Adam as his sin representative in order to have Adam's sin charged to his account and die for it. And you say to me, of course not. Just keep saying, of course, of course. That's why I'm doing this. So that we'll get to Romans 10 and say, of course. We'll get to Romans 11 and say, of course. Because without an understanding of all of Scripture about salvation, you can't understand particular passages about salvation because it all needs to be rightly divided to fit together because no prophecy of the Scripture is of any private interpretation. We compare spiritual things with spiritual to arrive at the truth God has given us. And I thank God that He wrote His Bible this way so that so many can fall over it, trip, stumble, fall, and be broken, snared, and taken because that is why God did it. Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 through 13 if you need to know where to look. If it is not cooperative disobedience with Adam that kills, Mr. Arminian, since you have just denied that it is cooperative disobedience with Adam that kills, is it cooperative obedience that makes alive? Again, I ask, who is Adam the figure of? If Adam is the figure of Christ, then Christ must save in some way like Adam condemns And given this is the context, it's the one for the many. I love this doctrine. Oh, thank you, Lord, for letting me see this in my lifetime. 
I know I would see it one second after death, but thank you for letting me see it in my lifetime. Thank you for letting me see it when I was a young man. Thank you for letting me understand the first verse that I ever memorized in the Bible, Romans 5.12, in a way that is true and righteous and altogether lovely. If it is the cooperative obedience of Jesus, the soul winner and the sinner himself, that results in the gift of eternal life, how many are obedient for one to be made righteous? Three. Is three what Paul taught? No. If all in Adam die, verse 1 Corinthians 15, 22, how do men get into Adam? Do they choose to get into Adam? Do they believe to get into Adam? Do they accept Adam as their sin representative? They are placed in Adam by the sovereign choice of God to give them human conception. If all in Christ are made alive, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, what is the first way in timing that men get into Him? Chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. 1 Corinthians 15.22 summarizes this whole passage this way. For as in Adam, all die. Even so, even stronger than as so, it's three adverbs. As even so. For as in Adam, all die. Even so, in Christ shall all be made alive. Jesus stood in the place of His elect. And those elect are those individual persons, you and me, if we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is an evidence of our election, and we prove that faith by good works, which is an evidence of that election, we were chosen in Jesus Christ before the world began assigned to Him. We are those that Jesus said, those that the Father hath given me. I will lose none of them. I will obey for them. I will raise them up in the last day. They shall all be saved with an everlasting salvation. If I reconcile them to God by my death, how much more shall I save them by my life? Because I ever live to make intercession for them, and they shall be saved to the uttermost because of me. Amen. Right. And so, we deal with original sin. How do Catholics deal with original sin? They invent infant baptism. Catholics once preached, and their theologians claimed to believe, original sin. So how do you get babies saved when every other birth is resulting in a stillbirth in the, in the dark ages? You get holy water applied to them to get them into heaven. Or you tell mommies who didn't get them baptized in time, that there's a place called limbo for them. Or you develop intrauterine. Any of you that have taken anatomy know what I'm saying? Intrauterine devices so that you can baptize them before they're born in in case you're afraid of a miscarriage. And if you don't have one of those handy, then you can get them baptized by the baptism of desire. And on and on it goes. The manual on baptism is indeed Heavy. It's incredible. Do you know where it all comes from? Believing one point of doctrine and inventing another one to cover it up because you don't like it. Do you know how Arminians cover it up? There's the age of accountability. But as we did last Lord's Day, we ask, why do they die before the age of accountability? If they're not accountable, what are they dying for? 
it almost makes me ashamed to ask such questions from a pulpit of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm doing it for the way of helping you understand salvation and distinction from their heresy. If it is the cooperative obedience of Jesus, the sinner and the soul winner, that gets people justified and made righteous and into heaven, it is by the obedience of how many? I know I've been asking this a few times. This is what you want to do. Just don't, do not run away to some other point of doctrine. They're going to try to say, but, 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 but. But what about John 3.16? Well, how does John 3.16 fit Romans chapter 5, 12 through 19? God sent His only begotten Son to die for every one of these that He had assigned the Lord Jesus Christ to save. Amen. Hello? And God loves every single one of these that He sent the Lord Jesus Christ to die for and save. Hello? It's not difficult at all. Jesus wasn't using John chapter 3 and verse 16 in the middle of Publix grocery store. He didn't climb up on the frozen food department and stand there and shout out John 3.16. He was explaining hard doctrine to Nicodemus to rattle that man about the conversion of Gentiles. For God so loved the world of His elect, including the Gentiles, that He sent His only begotten Son to die for them in order to gain eternal life for those that believe. Because the only ones that believe are ordained to eternal life through the elect of God. Go read the context from verse 9 to verse 16 of John chapter 3 and see how rattled Nicodemus was and how the Lord just kept on rattling him. Art thou a teacher and master in Israel and knowest not these things? Do you think the Jews believed in the salvation of Gentiles? Even though they had it prophesied a hundred times in their scriptures? No, out of nationalistic pride. But that's not what we're doing right now. Just don't let them say, but, but, but. Hold them, hold their feet to the fire. Hold their feet to Romans chapter 5. They want to hold you to John 3.16 no matter where you go because it's really the only verse they know and they don't know it. They are so ignorant of the verse that they claim is the gospel in a nutshell. I might agree that it's the gospel for a nut the way they interpret it. But there's nothing nutty about John 3.16 because it's ours. And all it is saying is that God loved His elect and sent Jesus Christ to do the securing of everlasting life for those that believe because the purpose of John in writing his gospel and three epistles is that you might know that you have eternal life by believing on His Son, which is an evidence of it. Amen. Stated in John 20 and 31, stated in 1 John 5 and 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. Do you know why John 3.16 is in the Bible for Nicodemus? Do you know why it's in the Bible for anyone? Because believing on the Lord Jesus Christ is the evidence of God's election and the evidence of eternal life, and God sent His Son to secure everlasting life for every one of His elect and those that believe on Him. If you want to know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you, then believe on Him. Your believing on Him does not cause Him to die on the cross for you, nor does it make His death on the cross efficient for you. It's simply evidence in your life that He did die on the cross for you. This is rightly dividing the word of truth. So that we don't end up with God coming and going about His hatred and His love and the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nor do we have John 3.16 in any disagreement with Romans chapter 5 whatsoever. If all in Christ are made alive, how many outside Christ will be delivered from Adam? 
If all in Christ are made alive, what is the first way in timing that we get into Him? By election. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, according as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world. So when God chose to put us into Adam, and we were in Adam, that's why we're all dying physically, when did He choose to put us in Christ? Before He created Adam. Things done before the foundation of the world. This is the sovereignty of God in election. Does the Bible say that faith and baptism are two ways that we get into Christ? Most indeed it does. Do you want to see where that's at so that you can be prepared? When they go there, it's Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27. The church of Christ and their little Acts 2.30, when they come with their Acts in 2.38s, will have Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 in their ammo belt. The church of Christ believes that salvation is what saves. They don't believe in original sin. They believe in an age of accountability. And once you hit the age of accountability, and they, they would disagree on what that age might be, but once you hit it, then you have to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized in order to have your sins washed away. And every time you sin after that baptism, you need to confess that sin because if you die with unconfessed sin, you're going to go to hell anyway, even though you were baptized that washed away all your sins. That's just the doctrine of the church of Christ. They they came into being in the mid-1800s by going into towns and publishing a notice that they wanted to challenge the Baptist preacher to a debate, public debate. Alexander Campbell said that a debate is worth a thousand sermons. Alexander Campbell's the father of the Church of Christ. That's why we call them Campbellites. And then once he got the Arminian Baptist preacher in front of the public, he could tear him to pieces because that Arminian would say that all you have to do is believe. And all he could do, all he would have to do is quote verses like, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. And the poor Baptist has just got his legs cut off with a chainsaw. Or he takes him to Acts chapter 2 and verse 38 where it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And the poor Baptist has his legs cut off again. And so, it was said among the church of Christ, Give me an axe and two thirty-eights, and I'll whip any Baptist preacher in the world. But they mean the book of Acts chapter 2 verse 38. Some of you well remember the days back in about 1986 when a wild Campbellite in Bristol, Tennessee, Virginia got on the radio and challenged Baptist preachers from Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. How in the world do sinners get into Christ where all spiritual blessings are? Because it says in Ephesians 1-3, Blessed be the God of our Father, Lord, and blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And so this man had an hour on the radio and he was just going wild looking for a Baptist preacher to call in to tell him how you get into Christ because he had these two verses. Galatians 3, 26 and 27. For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus, for as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. See? It is faith and baptism that you get into Christ where all the spiritual blessings are located so that you can have all those spiritual blessings includes baptism. Is there any Baptist preacher out there that will call me? Well, we can't get anything from Bristol. There's a mountain in between us and them. So a Christian there called me and said, this is what's being said. Do you have an answer for him? 
Look at Ephesians chapter 1. I'm getting off track, but I don't care at the moment. And it's not to talk about me, it's to talk about the Word of God so that you will love it and you will understand your salvation. I couldn't care less who it was. I'd have been shouting amen no matter who said it. I don't like talking on radio programs where I haven't heard what's been said before, but I've been told a general gist of it. But anyway, Ephesians chapter 1, look at verse 3, is the one I've quoted to, and it's the one he just kept quoting over and over again. He would say, where are all spiritual blessings? In Christ, in heavenly places. How do you get into Christ in order to have those spiritual blessings? Can you believe how, how foolish he was to set himself up like that? Do you know where you would go? To the next verse. What in the world? Can you believe it? If you're going to be that stupid, don't go on the radio. But you know what? Most people don't know. And as long as he quoted Galatians 3, 26 and 27 and tied in baptism, all the Church of Christ people were just cheering on that no Baptist could call in and answer. How do we get into Christ? According as. Ephesians 1, 4. According as. Do you want to know how we get into Christ? Verse 4 tells us how we get into Christ. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the... Chosen us where? In Him. When? Before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. And then it goes on to describe others of those spiritual blessings that are in heavenly places in Christ. What do you think happened next? You are right. Do you think He said, You are right. The church of Christ is wrong. He said, do you mean to tell me and all the listeners that are in Bristol that if a man rapes his grandmother, he's going to heaven by election? How's that answering with the Word of God? In private conversation with that man, he said, you know, if we would have debated out of one, if we would have debated out of one, because I presented the Jesus Christ that they want to hear about. Romans chapter 5. Debate is only a necessary evil. Preaching is God's chosen way of conveying truth. So we went to Bristol and rented a big hall and presented the five phases of salvation being the five unions with Christ. Five ways that we get into Christ. And lo and behold, faith and baptism were number four out of the five. You know that there were several unions with Christ that we have long before baptism. We were chosen in Him first, and then we're in Christ legally when He died on the cross, and then we're put in Him vitally when we're born again. Thank you, Lord, for the truth that You've given us about salvation. Mr. Arminian, if you believe the representation taught here in Romans 5, 12 through 19, why must you add man's cooperation to Christ's obedience? Why do you do that? Mr. Arminian, did every man, woman, and child have a chance for eternal life in their perfect head, Adam? Yes, they did. The tree of life was blooming. And he could have eaten from the tree of life. But not after he ate of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil. Then he was sent out of that garden and there were flaming cherubim put up facing every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Because he chose death, not life. Can you believe what our first father did? But I ask you, don't we repeat it every day? Right. He had life with Eve. 
and us forever. But he chose the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Every man, every woman, every child, every miscarried baby, every infant, every pagan has had a perfect chance for eternal life. And don't ever let them say to you, your doctrine doesn't give man a chance to be saved. It gives man the best chance to be saved. How in the world is it a chance to be saved when you leave it with a totally depraved, corrupt, perverted, rebel enemy of God that is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be, cannot please God in the flesh, will not receive the things of the Spirit of God, can't hear them, can't see them, and can't discern them because they're spiritually discerned. How, how is that giving every man a chance? The true gospel gives every man a chance and the best man they could have had a chance in. And that's Adam. And it doesn't give us a chance of salvation. It gives us the certainty of salvation by the man Christ Jesus. Will you please stop accusing, Mr. Arminian, will you please stop accusing God and the true gospel for not giving man a chance for heaven? Mr. Arminian, my final question from Romans 5 can you grasp that this doctrine of representation gives all the glory for salvation to God in Christ? Amen. Can you grasp that? Amen. That if anybody gets to heaven by Romans 5, 12 through 19, all the glory is the Lord's. Can, can you see that, Mr. Arminian? Can you see that if Jesus obeyed equally for all men and most of them end up in hell, then anyone that gets to heaven in your scheme gets there by their own obedience, does that give glory to God? When Jesus Christ's obedience was a miserable failure for most, but your obedience for you was a stunning success, who is going to take the glory in that case? But the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. There's going to be no glorying in a soul winner or a sinner that thinks he did anything to get himself there. All the glory is going to be in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the sovereign God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ who chose us in Him and His obedience before the world began. Do you all understand this passage? Can you fathers teach this passage to your children? Do you know where to go on the website to find the outline, the two atoms, so that you can explain each one of these verses? You can see that in verses 12 through 14, the doctrine is being stated very powerfully. Then in verses 15 through 17, there are three exceptions made of showing how that the representation of Jesus Christ is superior to the representation by Adam. That there is a one-man difference in verse 15 because Jesus is superior to Adam. There's many offenses paid for by Jesus on the cross, not just by one offense, so it's a quantitative difference. And then in verse 17, the qualitative difference between grace and condemnation. And I've been over all that before showing how we're to understand those three verses. But do you understand where to go and get the answers to be able to deal with an Arminian or teach your children because I don't want any of you to ever forget that we are saved by the obedience of one. One. So that Hebrews 1.3, we want to fight for two words that all the modern versions have taken out of it. When it says, who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. 
by himself or taken out of those versions. We want those two words there as they are in our King James Bible that has borne fruit for 402 years because it's the Word of God by himself. Therefore, God was in Christ reconciling the world. What kind of world did He reconcile to Himself? The world of reconciliation in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is no bigger than those that are reconciled. And who are they? They are the elect of God. God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself. He reconciled us to God by His death. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10. And He's going to save us by His life. It's His. Singular. Male. Pronoun. Jesus Christ our Lord. We were chosen in Him, singular, male, pronoun. He is our Savior and our only Savior. And so we ask these questions. And when we come to Romans 10 or we come to Romans 11, if we see anything there that starts to knock up and make noise and create confusion, we have to make it fit the rest of Scripture. That doesn't mean we take Romans 5 and beat everything into submission to it. But when we look through the pages of Scripture, we find most everything agreeing obviously with Romans chapter 5. And those places that don't with a little bit of work, they easily do. That is studying to show yourself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And that's what we want to do faithfully. And I don't want to move on from this point to another category lest you lose it. And so we're going to end right here for this first sermon of the day. But I want you to love this doctrine, and I hope as we have our break here in a few minutes that you will talk about this doctrine. And if any of you quake in your souls, I can promise you one thing. All you have to do is look in a mirror, and you know that you're related to the first Adam. Can you look in the spiritual mirror of God's Word and know that you're related to the second Adam? Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, he being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the Word, that man shall be blessed in his deed. That is the proof of everlasting life. That is the proof that Jesus Christ represented you on the cross of Calvary by God's planned doctrine of representation, the federal headship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you believed on Him today? It doesn't mean to say in your head mentally, yes, I believe that Jesus existed. Do you believe on Him as the Son of God, the Lord of heaven and earth, and the coming judge? Will you live for Him? Will you commit yourself to Him? Will you bring forth good works for the glory of His name? Believe on Him in that way today. That doesn't change your standing before God. It can give you the confidence and the assurance and the evidence and the proof that Jesus Christ obeyed for you in the obedience that truly counted. The obedience that resulted in justification unto life. The obedience that resulted in grace reigning in life by one, even Jesus Christ. Believe on Him today. Don't look back to some decision you made Believe means to be living Him. Be living Him. It's not enough for us to say that we believe. John chapter 8 talks about those that believed on Him and all He had to do was jerk their chains just a little tiny bit and they wanted to kill Him 15 verses later. John chapter 8 verses 29 through 31. Many believed on Him. And He said, if He continue in My Word... How long could they continue? Not 15 seconds. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And it was over. As soon as they heard that they as Jews weren't free, they rejected him altogether. We haven't been in bondage to any man. 
I've been over all that before. Clank, clank, clank. Roman soldiers walking up and down the street while they say we haven't been in bondage to any man. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. I hope you love Romans chapter 5 and you get the Lord Jesus Christ lifted up so high. We've got two Adams. The difference is death and life. The difference is condemnation and justification. It's wonderful, but it's always, in, in, in both cases, by the obedience of one. It doesn't matter whether a pagan hasn't heard the Genesis account or believes it or rejects it when they do hear it. Adam, the representative, still disobeyed for them, and they are accountable for it. And it doesn't matter whether a person hears the gospel, believes the gospel, or not. That is not what aligns them or puts them in the second Adam, the Lord Jesus Christ. We were chosen in Him before the foundation of the world. So infants from conception that have that have done neither good or evil except Adam's evil in their mother's womb, can a miscarried child go to heaven? Absolutely. By what? By the obedience of one. Can an infant of three go to heaven? By what? By the obedience of one. Can a young man, a prince at 30, go to heaven? Yes. How? By the obedience of one. How can the prince at 30 know he's going to heaven? By the obedience of one. That is when you add to your faith virtue and to your virtue knowledge and to knowledge patience and to patience God and His temperance, brotherly kindness and charity. And when you do these things, you make your calling and election sure, which means you know that the second Adam has stood in for you and an, he that doeth these things shall never fall. But an entrance shall be ministered unto him abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. No waters of baptism. No invitation by Billy Graham. No tomfoolery in the pulpit like Jack Hiles. It's by the obedience of one on the cross of Calvary. May the Lord bless the preaching of His Word. Amen.